Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Gold One Putt Podcast. I'm here with Gareth Shaw. Again, the wingman, not in the wings, is right in front of us, but he's here <laughs> to help provoke, poke me in the right direction, get all that information out there and offer a little bit of a slightly different, it's not just the Andy Gorman Show then, Gareth is here. So the idea uh, of today's show is that we're talking tour talk, we're talking a little bit about equipment. Where is Equipment, what's the state of the industry really like? Uh, and just some of my thoughts on, on, on where we're going with that. Well, we've also got um, tour talk in terms of what's happened in Hawaii over the last couple of weeks. Great shout out to, um, you know, one of those players who's embracing a training drill that is also helping him to lower his scores on the course. And he's a tour player. Why aren't you doing it? Let's catch you on the other side. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. We're just uh, chewing, chewing over the fat of the weekend and, uh, you know, looking at uh, the tour talk. There's obviously, you know, there's new golf equipment out there. Um, I'm not so sure we've got much to talk about the new golf equipment. I suppose there's things that we can look at and things to, you know, talk about with regards to what things look like, what do you like the look of, you know, sort of, but, um, you know. I don't like the look of the price, Andy. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just like, I, I know, I, I know to some degree what's happened, you know, we're, you know, we've got transportation costs have gone up to move stuff around. Um I tell you what it does. I tell you what it says to me. It, it's a, it's about time as a golf industry we start making it in our own backyard. Mm. I can't see that it's going to get any more expensive now. If this is where it's at and this is where it's going over the next, you know, five to ten years, let's get industry back into our own backyard. Let's start making some of these products, you know, here at home. Now that might just be irons and wedges and putters. You know, the feasibility of manufacturing those seems to be a little bit higher i think than maybe the drivers i think the complexity of the drivers would um would probably benefit um you know retaining the use of some of the uh, uh the industry platform but mm -hmm. you know why why not why not you know get the forging houses and you know the sort of milling houses these days you know um to, to get some of the work done not just here in the uk but america and and elsewhere, you know, I'm throwing it out there. Is it feasible? You know, we putters running 350 pound if they're milled in the US, and putters that are made in the Far East running 350 pound. You might as well have them milled in the US, right? And I'm not mm -hmm. saying then that you can't get them done here. Um, you know, for the sort of money, so I think if you, you know, it's something that the industry I think needs to start to look at, look at itself, and go right. Do we need to get it from the Far East all the time? You know, because if we can't get it in, we're creating a, I think we're creating a product on demand um, platform. Um, you know, we've talked about some of the things, you know, we've got with the T-stroke products, of course, you mm -hmm. know, creating a, um, a demand before you make it. It's not always feasible, but, you know, if, if it's something that potentially is doable, then, you know, is that something that we... You know, as a, as a as an industry, is it something that we we embrace? You know, it, I, I don't know. Do you think we should stick to a life cycle as well with with product? Now it seems 
some of the big manufacturers are bringing product out every six months? Should it be every 18 months? Should it be every two years? I'll be perfectly honest with you. I like Ping's model of every two mm-hmm. years. And so product has a cycle for two years. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and what I like is the fact that they've actually stuck to that, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, in 12 months time, we'll be looking at an I-series model. Although, you know, to be honest with you, I've had my two ten, uh, my two tens now um, in the bag for, for two years. Um, so that would suggest that there's an I model coming out and arguably it's probably, is that going to be a 225? I don't know. Um, so if that is, so if that is the case, you know, that, that would be reasonably imminent, but if that is the case and it doesn't come out for another six months, that'll be three years on the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's impressive. I think it's impressive that Ping are prepared to do that, you know, on their performance irons. It also says, there's nothing wrong with the current model, you know, that, they're not just replacing it because, well, it's, it's a life cycle, you know, product. It, there's nothing wrong with the model. And I can say, safely say that, you know, um, you know, I, I would happily go and buy another one, you know, another set of them. Um, you, you know what you get with Ping, you know, it's, um, and, you know, the, the obviously 425s we were looking at last time, or we just briefly mentioned last time, uh, are very impressive in terms of numbers, what they can and cannot offer. But of course, we also know that the numbers are inflated based on, you know, the data that, um, you know, we received with regards to uh, loft, at, you know, what is it, 30 degrees on the seven iron? Mm-hmm. Very, very so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know, so when you've got a club that, that does that, um, you, you know, ultimately, you know, I think it's, uh, I, look, you know my you know my take on it. I struggle with that. I really do. I struggle with that because at the end of the day, we know it's a five iron, and you know, not all that long ago, it'd have been nearly a four iron. So you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one for it's a tough one for me to swallow. But you know, like I say, with with pings, I've got very sort of retro lofts on my on my clubs. I like to see the golf ball go in the air in the right manner, and I like to see it get there. I don't want a ball to come into a green with a descent angle that's just going to run on, and that's what a lot of folk are struggling with. Mm-hmm. You know, not getting the golf ball. So a better player will struggle, you know, to to control some of the some of the clubs, um, you know, because they can flatten the flight anyway by by sheer control. And if the club keeps popping the ball down, you know, then that's not going to benefit you. Yes, you'll hit it further, but you won't mm-hmm. stop it you know and it's really important you get that golf ball to stop on the greens of course so you know it's it's a trade-off that both sides of the party have and of course the average golfer pops the golf ball in the air and doesn't hit it anywhere so they need stronger lofts to get it going forward and you know but also there's a part of that you know sort of player profile that also you know, doesn't get the golf ball in the air very easy and needs the ball to be able to launch up in the air so the clubs do that as well. So, the, you know, the manufacturers are doing a good job in terms of providing lots of equipment for, to cover the demographic of golf. I've got no mm-hmm. problem with that at all when it comes to it. You know, ultimately, I think we've got to um, start, maybe start to stretch out some of the models and, you know, be, be brave, you know, with, with it. You know, because otherwise the only people that are going to catch the cold are the manufacturers, which means then we're going to have less product in the marketplace than more product in the marketplace. And I think, you know, the smaller, um, more boutique companies are actually going to hold their own with their products that will have a life cycle, you know, of a three year, you know, mm-hmm. sort of three to five year platform. You know, I mean, that's 
you know, it's one, one of our home grounds, Orca, you know, I mean, they've still got products. I think they have maybe one new product comes out a year, one new club line comes out a year, but they still got stuff from 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's available you, and... Yeah, do you think that's going to put a lot more pressure on the, the lower end of the bag? Are we going to see a 10 iron, for example, because they've see, we're seeing them huge gap between a pitching wedge and a 9 iron? I saw on one of the reviews the other day, I think the pitching wedge went 130, and the actual 9 iron went 165. That's a massive gap. That is a massive gap, and I think you know where the big problem is. You know, For me, it's more important to make sure those gaps are right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 12 to 15 yards, I think, is acceptable. And, and, of course, Bryson sets all of his bag up around a 15-yard gap. So that allows him to have, um, you know, and I, th- I think the majority of golfers with themselves would benefit with a 15-yard gapping, mm-hmm. you know, um, setup. And I'd love to be able to do that, not quite being able to get it in, you know, into play. You know, it's not as easy as it would appear. You can't just set the lofts one way or the other to change the gap and make, you know, make it 15 yards because, you know, you've got all of a sudden you get a closeout gap, you know, which is, you know, you get a club that sits in there at around about six or seven yards. You know, and you go like, well, what's happening? Typically at the top end of the bag, you get those flat launched and you know flat landing longer irons and so then you you know if you don't mind a bag of hybrids as well as a bag of wedges you know <laughs> and three or four irons in the middle and you know I, I don't know that that's not the way forward and certainly you know for me at this point in my career I'm not bothered if I was to have you know two or three hybrids in the bag you know a four wood you know because they typically fly far enough now to act as a three wood as well you know, and have that gap nice and tight, you know, relatively sort of, you know, 20 yard gaps at the top there and then 15 yards down to, to the wedges, which then maybe, you know, a, a more 10 to 12 traditional. Um, you know, as long as you can get the golf club to do what you wanted to do, there's nothing wrong with having a hybrid in the back mm-hmm. or two or three, you know. So, you know, you've got to be able to get a golf ball in the air. And if you can't get a long iron in the air, you know, so that it flies up and then descends so that it can stop, then, you know, you're better off with a hybrid. Well, ultimately, that's possibly the way to go. So, you know, and I like to have a driving iron in the bag anyway. I like that sort mm-hmm. of pun- punches, sort of penetrating, low-flighted, you know, iron shot to be able to play. Um, and, of course, it also gives me the 225 par 3, you yeah. know, into the draft or whatever, you know, because you can tee it up and fly it up and, and land it. Um, as well so a little softer so you know that's a club for me that you know I'm quite I'm quite happy with but um, yeah it's I think there's there's a way you know going forward I think we will continue to see developments on on those fronts but I think you know now when you're heading very close to two thousand pounds for a set of irons mm-hmm. you know folk aren't going to be doing that every year no you know um that's just, I, I just don't see that that is, you know, and that's a, you know, this is a stock set of clubs. This is not, no, it's not executive, you know, exotic. Mm. Is it? You know, I mean, your PXGs or your Hummers or, you know, whatever, Muras even, you know, that were running the three, four, five thousand pound mark, mm-hmm. you know, or, or dollars, you know, th- those exotics will always have a place in the market. You know, that's the 5% in the market, but, yeah, these these are these are aim, aiming at you know our, our weekend warrior 
you know um mm -hmm. and you know with golf club memberships that were 1500 quid and you know sort of set of golf clubs you know two grand golf's all of a sudden become elite again mm -hmm. i think that's the danger you yeah. know a bit for me i know you can go and buy your second hand stuff off off ebay and and the like You've got, you've got to know what you're looking for, though, haven't you? You've got to have the art. You have, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, they're always going to be cast off crap, mm -hmm. basically, you know, in there. You're going to find the odd bargain. Of course you are, you know, and if you know what you're looking for. But the beginner is not going to know what that is, you know. Yeah. Um, and they'll go in walking into a golf shop or high street shop and when they're open. And, you know, and then look at it and go, whoa, <laughs> uh, I can't afford to play this game. Because the first impressions, you know, if if your first impression is, you know, up, upwards or north of a thousand pounds for a set of golf clubs, it's like, oh, I thought golf was reasonably accessible. If you don't know a good set of mates that, you know, if uh, they've got a spare set of clubs in the garage or, you know, sort of can point you or hold your hand or just take you, even if it is, you know, just to point you in the direction of some equipment to start with and then, you know, sort of encourage you to have some lessons because it's the right thing to do so that you learn properly. You know, I think it's a it's a challenge to the game. Mm -hmm. So how we grow the game in that manner. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Ultimately, I just, one of those answers I don't have. If I can help you with your putting stroke, that's really easy. So. I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen that, that kind of PXG are doing that a little bit with their kind of more, they're having like a premium line and then they're yeah. on like an entry entry level. Do you think manufacturers, I think TaylorMade used to do it. Do you remember when TaylorMade used to bring out a, an M or a, um, a, a kind of a SIM equivalent? And then they used to bring out a burner, like almost like yeah. a, a lesser model. Is there, is there room in the market for that? Oh, I think there is. And I think, you know, ultimately you create brand loyalty by starting people with the, you know, it's a whole idea. I mean, Ping never did it, never succumbed to it. It never did them any harm. Mm. Um, PXG said, no, we'll never do that. Of course, you know, seven years later they're eating humble pie and doing it now you know arguably they will say they're not eating humble pie they're doing what the audience and, and the clients want but you know your your five six seven eight thousand pound client is not asking for an 800 pound set of irons no. so they're not it's not their clients that's asking for the question it's that asking for them to answer a question that, that's not there that and that question's not there they're not it's not an answer for a question it's a hole in the market that they think they can fill or it's more cash sales you know mm -hmm. ultimately that's what they're you know they're looking at and um you know they're, they're not trying to fill a void there's no void at 800 pound for a set of irons that is the regular market platform mm -hmm. so you then have to look at it and go right well what's different what what do i need to know that's different about these you know these clubs you know what what's the difference between a pxg club at 800 pound versus a PXG club of, of you know, £5,000. Mm -hmm. Is it where they're made? Um, is it that much different? Because that's the other argument as well. Why is it £4,000 different? <laughs> you know, how, how's it going to perform £4,000 more or £4,000 less? You know, yeah. what am I getting? You know, I can't imagine you getting a Zing Galloy, you know, for, for 800 quid, you know? I mean, that's, you know, back in the days of Regency, for those of you that remember. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were plenty of those type of clubs around, but, you know, yeah, you, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, how, how do you justify it? it but it's no different is it, in cars, you know, it's the difference between a 20,000 pound car and a 220,000 mm -hmm. pound car. They've all got five wheels, 
you know, yeah. one inside, four outside on each corner and, you know, and, and a numpty behind the wheel inside, you know, invariably. But, it, you know, that some somebody can afford to spend 200 grand more. Yes, it goes quicker, invariably. Um, you know, they don't even look better, some of them. <laughs> um, you know, but what, why would you justify it? It's still a car. It's still mm-hmm. going to get you from A to B. It's still restricted to a 40 mile an hour limit in a 40 mile an hour zone. So, you know, there's there's all the arguments for having something exotic. And I get that, you know, um, it, it's just, it, it, you know, yeah, I, I just think that the golf industry is playing with itself. You know, the manufacturing industry is playing with itself when it comes to, you know, sort of producing products that you know the, the industry that the consumer doesn't need mm. you know in terms of you know, it doesn't need another new set of golf clubs this year but everybody in the in in the playing side of things has a choice you know if they do that so you know i just i just think it'd be nice if we could just take our foot off the pedal a little bit for a few yeah. years you know we have a five-year hiatus on this every single year something something new in every platform comes out you know i just think that that's you know let's have a, let's have a breather you know with mm. the world world's running at such a pace but you know it's running round itself i think you know if we could just take our foot off the pedal of you know having to get the latest club because it ain't going any further yeah it ain't going any straighter you know um in spite of all the claims um three yards in 10 years one of the manufacturers had the other day they one of the the testers out there i won't say what the driver is but it was the 10 year old model to the current model and they're three three yards bigger wow wow i did see something of interest the other day with regards to the pro v1 i'm gonna put it out there i'm gonna mention the name the old pro v1 and the new pro v1 mm-hmm. and rick shields couldn't find much of a difference not enough to shout about mm-hmm. um now of course rick isn't isn't uh, rory or one of the other players that you know has only played you know the the tightest ball and only plays the 09 ball you know when the manufacturers don't have the 09 ball available anymore would you know anyway Mm. you know i mean if you can there are so many there are a number of criteria, but can a player really know sound is going to be the biggest feel in the hand look visually mm. yeah okay so it's got slightly different color paint it's got slightly you know but i can't for one minute think that you know he's still using an 11 12 year old golf ball you know, that's been packaged for 12 years and then put on a shelf and said, right, that's got Rory's name on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that type of, that type of claim, because mm-hmm. um, he's not using the Tartus anymore, but, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And did he switch, you know, because, um, oh my gosh, you know, did he switch because they weren't available? I mean, I don't know. You know, all oh, know that's it. I can't play with that, any of the other balls. When there's not that much difference, you yeah. know, performance-wise, they're flying in, they're hitting the same windows, the spin lofts, the elevations of flight, you know, the descent angles, the stopping power, sound, durability and sound. They're more durable now. That was the one conclusion. Paint stays on the ball longer, which will probably make a difference in sound. It feels a little bit harder because it sounds mm-hmm. a little bit harder. And those are the things that we've got to work towards. We're, I was having a conversation with... Um, a putter manufacturer 
the other day and he was talking about the sound of metal you know or feeling that certain types of carbon steel versus mild steel versus alloy inserts etc you know he doesn't like the feel of the steels and i said no, i get that you know mm-hmm. totally totally get that but what is feel anyway you know what what, do you, what are you feeling it's going 35 inches up the shaft a hollow tube whether it's made of graphite or carbon or steel or whatever that that tube is through a rubber handle with maybe some polystyrene under listing and it's going through lots of absorbing processes Mm -hmm. and you know frequencies are changing all the way up there can you really tell something that you can't hear because if you can't hear it you can't tell Mm -hmm. you know and you've got more of an issue with the golf ball than you have with with the face on a i mean i just i just think that you know we read into things a little bit too much he says the man who uses an, an aluminium insert with its groove because he likes it being nice and exactly. soft but you know these are the these are the things that we're up against you know as as um you know as an industry these are these are the challenges that we we mm-hmm. fight we throw at ourselves you know I, why do I, you know, and, and one of the reasons why I say this is because I use cast head wedges because they're more durable because actually there's not enough difference in a forge to be able to say that's performing better. Mm-hmm. Your grooves stay sharper on a cast wedge because it's harder mm. and the ball doesn't, the, the spin loft determines, it tells me that I'm getting more spin on that ball mm-hmm. with that cast head than I am with the forged head that feels better. Um, and my performance doesn't change negatively by using a cast head that spins greater because I have more control over the golf ball. In fact, it increases. So that's the reason why I use it. And plus the fact that, you know, I can go and practice all day long with a club and not wear it out anywhere near as quickly. I can also practice and know that I haven't bent it, you know, by by wear and tear mm-hmm. you know and so my lofts are going to stay constant my lie angles are going to stay constant i'm going to have a club that's going to perform from the day i start using it to the day it goes into the practice bag yeah. um or or the the coaching bag so you know so that's that's one one of the reasons why and i think we do wrap ourselves up in the kidology of you know sort of yeah we're trying to do this we're trying to do that you know and we only use this club or this ball or this shaft or whatever it is you know it's it, it is kind of kind of weird really mm. yeah um, you, you, you talked a little bit there about face inserts i don't know if you've seen them but the new range of odds you put us i'm going to put it out there have they run out of ideas i haven't seen it to be honest i don't know what they're doing with it at this point in time so maybe i they, should have been looking or no 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 uh, at all they've they've brought out back out the o work series but they've gone back to the original white hot series so I'll, I'll put it for our youtube viewers i'll put a picture up and they've gone back to the kind of numbered up to 10 uh, okay but it looks like they pretty much just recreated the old white hot, the very first white hot put some weights and change the shaft okay put them out so if they put the, the stroke lab shaft in yeah stroke lab yep. shaft put weights okay. under, underneath the putter but the, the models yep. look the same okay all right and increase the price by about 100 pound yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, the last time, when they first came out, they were like 70 or 80 pound, mm-hmm. you know, 69 99, 79 99. They were less than a hundred pound. 
Um, and all right, that may have been in discount stores, but they were re- I think their RRP would have been £99. Yeah. And every manufacturer, look, and I started selling Seymour putters eight, nine years ago, whatever it was now, I can't remember. Eight years ago, nine, yeah, nine years ago. Um, you know, we were we were selling the putter at less than £100, and that same putter now is, is £90 more. So, mm. um, you know, so everybody is subject to these price increases, and I'm not going to say, but are they £100 more than they were, you know, 10, 12 years ago when they mm-hmm. had those series, or are they, you know, £250 now? Are they £150 more than where they were when they first came out, you know, for you know a, a shaft that they're clearly behind you know that in terms of feel and performance they obviously like the fact that you know that shaft is is doing what they wanted to do mm-hmm. or it says enough in the story that you know they can justify you know that they the increase in price i do think that you know we we, we are are we running out of ideas i think you know you've just asked the question i think the answer would be to some degree yes we are um Innovation has a cost, so new ideas and £400, you know, is always a struggle, mm. you know, because it's like, oh, you know, this putter's going to be £400. Um, I think, yeah, I think we have a problem or, you know, we don't, it's not so if we have a problem. We, we, we are struggling to get those design ideas out, you know, mm-hmm. through the smaller brands and the bigger brands are just sticking where they're at and claiming the profit margins. Yeah. Um, you know, because I know how much these products cost to make them in raw cost. That's not to take away the R and D costs, but the R and D costs on these white hot putters was done twenty years ago. So mm. there were no redevelopment costs. And you know, yes, the machine a weight into the bottom of the head that's interchangeable has a little bit more cost than a static, you know, structured head. You know, so so yeah, there are a few more costs involved, but nominal relatively somewhere it doesn't cost that much more to make something that's 20 years old in the model that's got a slightly different shaft relative to what was in it originally and slightly different heads you know in terms of weights um the manufacturing cost hasn't gone up exponentially that much more Mm. and that's the bit i struggle with gareth i'll be honest with you it's um uh, you know you know i brought t-stroke out um you know, sort of into the marketplace over eight years ago now. And um, we haven't increased the price. I haven't sold it on to anybody who sells it for me anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because the cost of making the product, you know, occurred eight years ago. Now, if I'm making, you know, another another lot, another run and they increase by 50%, sure, I'm going to have to pass on some of it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I haven't just done it because, you know, I'm, I'm increasing things because I should, mm-hmm. um, you know, because everybody else does. No, you know, I want that product to sell out there. We talked about it the other day, of course. I want that product to, to get out there and, um, you know, sort of, you know, into the market. I don't want that product to get caught up in the in a price war, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, oh, I can't afford it. I'd rather, you know to want to a better expression, give the product away and make sure it helps folk to, to do the work. Of course, we're yeah. doing that in one of our promotions at the moment, um, you know, in our lockdown promotion. But it's, you know, ultimately, yeah, I'd rather folk just got the right things, the, to work on the right things, took what they needed from that, you know, and, uh, and used it. And then, you know, we can see improvements and, and 
you know, folk are much happier with it. But it is a difficult place to, to sort of, um, it's the manufacturing, manufacturing of the heads that I'm struggling with the prices on because, mm. you know, shafts haven't really changed that much. The hard, hard cost shaft of the shafts, you know, hasn't changed that much over the last 10 years. It's not shaft manufacturing. Yes, there's fancy shafts out there, you know, but I've, you know, I've got a shaft in my driver that I think, oh, crikey, I can't even remember how long I've had it now, about seven years, something like that. And I think it's, it's, it's a tour only shaft, but its list price was $1,200 when it first came out. But, you know, you can buy that model, albeit not a tour model now, because, you know, mm -hmm. there's only so many that are made for tour models. Um, you know, for around about $140, $150 now. So, you know, prices of those products have come down and yet, you know, so initially they have a high ticket price and then come down. So, you know, relatively shafts um, are not the difference. But that said, you know, we've got, you know, sort of mixes of shafts mm -hmm. out there now, you know, sort of combinations of graphites and carbons and steel combinations and, you know, and, and you're looking at a, an RRP of £250. I mean, that's, you know, if you're going into, into butters, of course, if they do the job, that's not a problem. But if they don't do the job, you know, it's just, you know, a carbon or a graphite tube as versus a steel tube, you know, then, it, it, you know, you have to ask the question, you know, is it worth it? You know, and that's where obviously the independent testing comes in and they're not doing it. Mm. And they're not testing them, you know. Um, you know, to, to, to develop that performance change, you know, selling it on a, on the pretense that, you know, sort of this new stroke lab carbon or graphite and steel shaft is better than, than a standard steel shaft. I mean, uh, look, most steel shafts are not great at going into butters, I'll be honest with you, mm. but, um, you know, are these combo shafts that much better, you know, and if, if it means that it's a club that's going to be a couple of hundred pounds more because of the combination shaft that's going into it because it's got the performance capabilities you know going into it and that uh, that then that has to be looked at seriously and go like oh wow you know that's yeah. something in that club you know and you know i'm testing yeah. lots of different models at the moment you know and and they're coming out favorable that's that's the thing i will say is that you know these these exotic shafts going into putters are coming out favorable but i'm not seeing test data on you know on, on them from the manufacturers mm, i'm yeah. doing that to prove it you know um albeit manufacturers are approaching me to do that mm. so it's um so there's a lot of things that are there we, we are aware of and and those are the things that we've got to look for so um yeah. anyway it's moving on to, to like, almost sounds depressing doesn't it uh, <laughs> you know, costs and everything else. But, you know, moving on, you know, tour talk's been in Hawaii for the last uh, couple of weeks. I had I did catch up with some of it, you know, mm -hmm. from the Kapalua. But Kevin Nars back at Kapalua next year. Mm -hmm. um, and why not? Because he's, you know, he bagged the win at um, Sony uh, this weekend. Very impressive display. He's in a really good place with himself. I caught his post-round interview mm -hmm as well as watching the highlights of his golf and i thought you know here's a guy who you know he's in his early 40s um i think i, I hope i've got that right yeah. um but at the time of his life he's got a young family but you know he's very comfortable at home he said that you know very clearly um 
And because he's very comfortable at home, he's not stressed out on the golf course. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a part of, you know, sort of something that you've studied, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of psychology and, you know, the elements of, of being in the right place mm-hmm. to be able to contend and the things that you have to talk to yourself about. And, you know, I was watching Chronicles of a Champion a little while ago and, mm-hmm. you know, Padre Harrington was was on talking about, I've always missed the very first part of it. So I've, mm-hmm. the reason why I stopped and actually sat down with a cup of coffee and just, right, I'm going to watch this first part. He talked about the Carnoustie, mm-hmm. uh, his first Open Championship, where he doubled the last, got up and down for it, uh, having gone in the water twice, you know, um, a great double, you'd arguably say, <laughs> to get into the playoff. But he's, uh, you know, he'd, um, he, he, you know, getting your head back in gear, he, he, he felt he was in the zone, then he got out of the zone, then he got back in the zone. But it, the fact that all the work he'd done with Bob Rotella over the years prior to that and all the things that he'd done with his caddy, mm-hmm. you know, of course, as a family member, you know, but all that work that they'd done together as a team got him back into that zone because as he walked the 150 yards from drop to drop, you know, he was able to then hear from Ronan all the things he needs to hear bang 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 you know it's just a shot it's one shot Mm -hmm. at a time don't worry about it you know there's another shot to play get back into the mindset all the cliches that he'd heard you know 50 100 200 whatever in that 50 60 70 yards that he walked and got the shape back I'm in the zone again bang hits a shot to inside six foot and knocks it in you know to to make it into the playoff obviously set the number um you know and that was quite you know it's like wow you know there, there's there he's at and Kevin Nahr talking very very similarly he couldn't pull the club away at one point in time could he yeah no exactly yeah, yeah. They, they couldn't the kind of execution yips we call them so he couldn't it wasn't the putter it was just the the kind of the waggles a little bit like Garcia the kind of waggle I can't really I, I don't know what to do I don't know what to do I, I think I'm swinging the club but I'm not and yeah it's, it's very 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 difficult yeah, I mean, not pulling the club away from the ball or not knowing, you know, kind of getting the club in motion and then mm-hmm. quick firing it because you're not in the right place. You know, it's one set of yips. But like you say, that not even knowing that you've pulled the club away, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, incredible. And and watching how he goes into, you know, some of that. I mean, the fact that he can stop the club in the downswing like Tiger we've seen doing mm-hmm. stuff. You know, how do you do that? You know, type of thing, because it's in the wrong place. We didn't even realise he was swinging it. But yeah, just watching Harry very comfortably. I was a bit disappointed on the 18th green. I thought he was going to catch the ball as he went yeah, in. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, that would have been great. I think he knew that he had to knock it in and make sure he did it without grabbing the ball in the hole um, to risk a penalty. But yeah, you know, but that one, that that for me, I think was was you know just great for him to see. And of course, he had a, you know dropped a shot at twelve and three putted, and then went birdie, 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 and then birdie eighteen. The diff- stark contrast between that and Harrington's putt to win the Open Championship um, in 08. 08, 07? can't remember which year it was mm. now. Carnoustie mm-hmm. um, ultimately was that he had the um, he he. And hold the putt, the ball had actually stopped moving in the bottom of the hole before we realised that he'd actually, you know, mm-hmm. I, can, I can celebrate now. He was so focused on being where he was and making sure he'd heard it drop in the hole and he wasn't going to have a little peek for it. 
you know, it's a completely different sort of mind focus. And you see Kevin sort of chasing the ball in the hole, you know, is, is you know, great and refreshing. And of course, you know, I think between him and Tiger, I've had quite a bit of banter over the years on the golf course with it. Um, but a different way of approaching that sort of fresh and ready to go, you know, rather than sort of stick at it, right, make sure mm. nothing moves, right, I've heard it, yeah, stop rattling around now, yeah, I've won the Open, you know, reality, you know, I find this is quite incredible. Yeah, so I think one of the things that we need to be mindful of is, you know, there are players out there that are doing things that, um, you know, that, that basically they find a way to do the job, all right? And the thing I love about, you know, obviously Kevin Nars got his way of doing things, but there's a fellow out there at the moment, a fellow of the name of Nick Taylor, who's using one of my training drills. Um, of course, you know, I mean, you know, years and years of communication. Um, I've not never worked with Nick. I don't know him personally. I did two things about it. Number one, he's got a, he's using a training drill to exercise a method and I've used this drill with a number of players at all levels of the game 20 handicap down to tour players and I get asked by every single one of them to the same question can can I use it on the course because I don't feel like crack on and mm. do what it takes to get the ball in the hole I don't care what it looks like and neither should you it, just do what you need to do mm -hmm. You know, that's the critical part of this is do what you need to do. Don't say to me, oh, you know, I need to do this, need to do that. You need to look this way, it needs to look that way. I don't care. Get the ball in the hole. You know, the big deal for me is can you get the ball in the hole fewer than the next person or lower than your score that you've been doing previously? So what Nick's doing is he's setting his foot, his trail foot, and he's getting pitching it up. He's got the pressure on his left foot. Mm -hmm. He's setting his trail foot up so that he's actually able to get the heel off the ground and he's got the pivot around that front foot. It's a fabulous way of doing it. And it's the bit that for me, you know, I think once a player gets this and understands that, you know, I can do one what I need to do, that it doesn't matter what it looks like, I can execute the shot. He's guaranteeing a low point every single time. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit further forward than maybe he would if he was standing with his foot flat on the ground. That's not the point. He's put the ball there as well. So he's now able to get the low point, probably close to his left toe, big toe, because that's where he's leaning. And he's able to get that low point in a consistent place. Now he positions the golf ball in that place and he knows the predictable result at the end of it. And he doesn't just do it from off the fringe. He does it from 40, 50, 60 yards as well. So... Mm -hmm. It does it really, really well. So I'm not sure if he's won tournaments yet. I don't, you know, I don't know enough about him to know whether that's the case. But what I do know is that this guy has found a way and he's utilising it and he doesn't care what people are saying to him. You know, and it may well be that nobody's noticed because, you know, folk oftentimes don't notice. But I would imagine it's very difficult when you've got 150 competitors around you every week for somebody to not go, He's got his back leg off the ground. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? Well, his back heel's off the ground. What's he doing there? And that guys would go over inquisitive, partly because, remember, we've talked about this before, players get bored. Yeah. So, hey, Nick, what are you doing there? You'll notice that your back foot's off the ground. Ah, you want to give it a go. Try that. Whoa, that feels good. Yeah, why? I, I know. Did you do it in the week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it last week when I was playing in Hawaii. Oh, right, okay. But it works. Yeah, of course it works. So why are you doing that then? 
well, it sets my pivot, you know, locks in my low point. Whatever reason why he's doing it, he said, you know what, I don't give a shit. I'm mm-hmm. just doing it. And he may, it may just be for a season. I don't know, because I haven't heard the commentators talking about it. Mm. You know, and, and if the commentators are talking about it, then, you know, that's one thing. And if they're not talking about it, we suggest that maybe he's been there and done that before, you know. And we've seen lots of different things, you know, haven't we? You know, over recent mm-hmm. times with, with chipping, you know, players using hybrids. And there was one last year, wasn't there, a significant one. I'm trying to think what it was now. Cack-handed, mm-hmm. one-handed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's just find a way to get the thing in the hole. I don't care how you do it. Just get it in the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to ask the question out there and throw it out. Am I wrong in this? Well, I'm, I know I'm not, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, it's a belligerent Andy Gorman approach. I don't give a shit how you do it. Just get it in the hole. Yeah. But there's an easier way of doing it. So, you know, obviously those are the methodologies that I teach by, but, you know, just do it. Just do it. Do what it takes to get it in the hole. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about what it looks like. I remember I a good friend. I'm going to call him out as well. Good friend of mine, Alex Forte. All right. Always asking me, oh, what do you think about the, how does this look here? How does this look here? I don't care if you're shooting 65, you know, what it looks like. But if you're shooting 80, you know, and you're worried about what it looks like, you know, and you think it looks perfect and you're shooting 80, I'd rather it look awful mm-hmm. and you shoot 65 because the idea of the game is to get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. I don't think those rules have changed. They're not changing anytime soon, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> you know, how we measure handicaps, that's changed. But, you know, ultimately, if you don't get the ball in the hole with fewer strokes, you don't win. Yes. Irrespective of your handicap at the end of the day as well. So, you know, when it comes to it, you, you know, if you can find a way, and the reason why we oftentimes, I, you know, all the training processes that, you know, I try to imply and, and, and encourage my students to do, You've got to be able to take it on the course whilst you're in transition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I had a conversation over the weekend with a client and he said, I'm not going to, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to take it on the golf course and perfect it anytime soon because of the weather. I said, well, okay, that's all right. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll perfect it in your living room first. And if we perfect it in the living room, then you can take it on the course. But, you know, so, well, Ian, surely you're going to want to see it on the golf course. Yeah, at some point I want to, you to record a few shots while you're playing or, or whatever. But I'm not in the least bit concerned about what it looks like as long mm-hmm. as the ball's going in the hole. I'm only concerned if it, you know, doesn't go in the hole. It's like, ah, all right, okay. But we're going to find a way through the transition for you to do certain things as well. So, you know, there are things that you can practice with. You know, I mean, I, again, you know, when I've got clients all over Europe and, you know, far, well, so far east, Australasia, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, across America, you know, we're working now remotely. We're doing our coaching programs largely on putting at the moment because, you know, we can. It's a lot easier to work on from our living rooms you know, our studies or our garage, if we turned it into, um, you know, something that's, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, sort of, I I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that we turn it into, summer rooms and living Mm -hmm. rooms, it doesn't really matter, does it? We just, it's easier to facilitate putting than it is to anything else. So, 
you know, when I'm when I'm working with clients, you know, we've got certain criteria we're working towards, but again, keeping it as simple as possible as well. Yeah. You know, we don't want things to get complicated. All I want is for a client to be able to get into a position and execute the result at the strike point. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I think, you know, that's my hats off to Nick Taylor there with regards to, you know, the way he's going about it, because that's a very refreshing approach to do it when, you know, in effect when the guns to your head you know when mm-hmm. you when you're playing in the tournament conditions you know and i've done this with steve webster in the past you know he he was working with me and he'd made a switch to, to chip cack handed mm. you know because he felt his wrists were breaking down well the, the root cause of the problem wasn't actually the wrist breaking down it was the fact that the body wasn't moving so you know his admiration for brett rumford as we've talked about in the past you know, has been always been that you know Brett's movement keeps the left shoulder going, which means the sternum keeps moving past the ball, which means his wrists don't break mm-hmm. down unless it's a shot that he's allowing his wrists to break on. Um, and you know, by going cack handy, Steve just felt that he was able to to not break the wrists down at the point of impact. It doesn't fix the fault if you go cack handy, but again, it was something that you could work with. And he kept his card that year, you know, with a few few quid to spare to be fair and you know it ultimately you know he just had the focus on keeping his sternum moving mm-hmm. you know unfortunately you know oftentimes a player gets to a point where they think they've arrested the problem and, and solved it by but actually we've only started to address it in effect with what we've done is we've put a plug in the hole and yeah. you know that that hole is going to start leaking again at some point soon and that's where the challenges are Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the difficult bit that, you know, coach knows, right, with quick fix, we'll get a player into a certain mm-hmm. position, get them to contend, great, they're happy, move things in the right direction, boom, you know, gone again. It's like, well, what, hold on a minute, <laughs> you ain't fixed yet, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're about to start spewing oil again. And, you know, so, but, but I love the fact that, you know, like I say, Nick Taylor's embraced this, you know, what I would consider to be a training mm-hmm. drill training position to get into the optimum place um and he's put it into play and he's competing and contending you know which is which is really good so cool right so we had a very very subtle glitch in the in the mix there so a little internet outage um you know and come back uh in a slightly different view so i trust that nobody's worried about that um and the only reason why i say it is because look i've got nothing to hide you know, you t- what you see is what you get. You get a slightly different view. Just get a little bit more shine on the head or whatever it is, you know, because the lights, are, I've adjusted the lights, doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're here for you as well. And remember now, during the lockdown period, we've got some special offers on from a coaching point of view. So be able to have a look at those, have a look on all the platforms, lockdown specials for coaching, you know, a perfect way for you to not just, you know bolster your you know your game now but have you ready for the golf season there's a golf season going to start you know in the northern hemisphere relatively shortly hopefully um but to train well in the meantime there's no point if you're twiddling your thumbs desperate for get, get out there on the golf course and you can't because of the restrictions that's fine right we've got to deal with it we have to accept what, where we are but to train well to train efficiently and effectively this is where you'll be able to then take that to the golf course. You can train indoors now for the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks. We don't know how long we're going to be stuck indoors, 
and not able to get onto the golf courses, but have a putting stroke that is ready for when those, those first tournaments start. Why not take advantage of them? You know, going to have a look at our lockdown specials. So, uh, you know, we've got individual offer, um, you know, with training aids. We've got a month fast track program as well available to you. We can get you out the other side. You do not have to struggle with your putting for 2021. You can have a putting stroke very, very quickly as the clients that I have right now will attest to. They are fixing real, real quick. So fast track programs are a great place to get that done. All right. So you know where to go. Check out all the channels at Andy Gorman Golf and we'll catch up with you next time.